Hello and welcome to the Centuries of Sound Radio podcast, the mid-monthly show where we discuss and give some context to the mixes. This episode is from December 2018, covers the years 1892 and 1893, and is co-presented by Sean. If you want early access to these radio podcasts, as well as access to full-sized regular mixes, you can get all of this and more by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash centuries of sound. My lord and gentlemen, centuries of sound. That was Holdings Military Band with The Night Alarm and we are Centuries of Sound, playing original sounds from a year in history. My name is James. And I'm Sean. And this week we are doing the years, which years are we doing? 1892 to 1893. We're on double years still because at this point there's not so much in the way of decent recorded music or recorded sounds. As you all hear, we still have lots of speech going on. This year is 1892. We're going to talk about the year briefly. But first, let's discuss what we just heard. That was Holdings Military Band. It's a normal kind of marching band stuff we've been hearing for the last few years. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, even the uh, accent of the voice at the start was the kind of thing we've come to expect, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because it has kind of sound effects, some bells and kind of gun sound going on there, which... I don't know. It's not not an amazingly impressive thing, but it does make you think about this tiny recording studio and how they were arranging all these things around the recording horn. Makes me think about that at least. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they did. They got the gunshot. Literally a gun by the recording horn. It's fired it off into the rafters. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? But it's still kind of impressive to me, at least for that reason. 1892. Let's hear about 1892. What kind of a year was this? We're in the. Naughty 90s in England. Yes. And uh, in the uh, Gilded Era in the USA. What kind of things are going on in 1892? Well, William Gladstone is elected Prime Minister for the last time, trying to sort out a problem which Mrs. May is still trying to figure out now. Ireland. 
Um, He's elected to give home rule to Ireland, fails miserably and retires in disgust a couple of years later. More importantly, I would say, Everton plays their first game at Goodison Park. Ah. Uh, Why were they they playing a game there? That wasn't their first game of all, was it? Well, you see, they were originally playing at Anfield. uh, And from what I can tell, either they refused to pay the rent or the owner wanted to change the name of the team. They said no. They left and an inferior team was... Ah. Placed to don't, don't replace know, them. Don't know if I can agree with that part, obviously. <laughs> um, what else is happening in 1892? Um, in America, they are undergoing another general election. Um, Grover Cleveland, who we'll hear a bit about later, is re-elected in 1892. Let's let's skip America and England and go over to Russia. Um, in the previous episode, we've, we've been hearing about uh, Julius Bloch. He's been recording the luminaries of the Russian classical music scene. Still alive. He's still alive. He's still well. He's not alive now. No, and um, he's here tonight. He's uh, he's not here tonight. Uh, we don't have a, his ghost or anything. Uh, in a sense, we have the the ghost he left on uh, the cylinders he recorded. Um, this is uh, one uh, Jules Konus, Julius Konus. Julius Konus was a Russian violinist and composer of of great fame. If you follow these things, um, and he was around for quite a while. This is his early days still. Um, following the Russian Revolution, he emigrated to France and uh, played piano there. One of his sons, Boris, married the daughter of uh, Rachmaninoff. So he wow. was right up there with the uh, classical music royalty of the time. Um, he eventually returned to Moscow in 1939, which is a very interesting time to return to Moscow. Yes, he really I, can pick his eras, can't he? I'm guessing that might have been the Nazi invasion of France that yes. caused that to happen. Um, very likely, and he died in uh, in Moscow in uh, 1942, which is he, he lived to a reasonable age there mm. into his 60s. Okay, so that was Jules Konas, a Russian violinist and composer, recorded in St. Petersburg in uh, 1892. So in 1892, as, as we've said, President Grover Cleveland was re-elected in the USA. What can we say about Grover Cleveland? Well, Grover Cleveland, as I'm sure you're all aware, is the uh, only United States president to be elected to two non-consecutive terms. Uh, Benjamin oh. Harrison had a term in between. It's a distinction he still holds to this day. Uh, and indeed, he's the only Democrat to be president between the end of the American Civil War in 1860 and the election of Woodrow Wilson in 1913. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's about 60 years when the um, Republican Party pretty much dominate US politics. The Democrats, of course, being seen as the party of the South, not exactly a productive mm. political legacy. But he's um, he's an interesting character. He's from the conservative wing. If you have a look at a photo of him, he's a very... Uh... You don't, you can't quite believe somebody who looks like this existed and was in charge of things. He's a he's a big guy, isn't he? I think I think the only man bigger than him in presidential history is Taft. He is a big guy and but also had a lot of affairs, which is yeah, yeah. You know, fair play to him. He got around. He did. Yeah, his uh, huge 
bushy moustache mm. must have been popular with the ladies he looks like a walrus I've always thought he does look indeed very much like a walrus he got married while he was in the White House as well didn't he yes he did to a uh, woman he'd known since she was a baby which um... hmm. so his first wife died I believe yes. it wasn't, uh, wasn't a divorce and uh, yeah he got married to a girl he'd been taking care of since she was a baby yeah. she was very young wasn't she yeah she was 21 he was in his 40s I believe I think late 40s late 40s yeah, um so. In fact, the first time he met her, he bought her a doll and a carriage. Um, oh. <laughs> which, you know, is, is nice. Slightly creepy. Yeah. She was called Frances Folsom. Mm. Yeah, OK. Um, let's, let's have a listen to a few recordings that are related to Grover Cleveland and his uh, electoral victory in this year. This is his voice. What do you expect his voice to sound like? I'm going to expect high and reedy. High and reedy. Well, let, let's find out if that's true. So there's the voice of Grover Cleveland. Was it as you expected? Uh, it was, but it's, um, I think it's so interesting given the parallels to America today. Um, this isolationism expressed in such open, uh, if not quite so selfish terms um, mm. as a certain US president I could... Um, let's, let's, let's hear, I mean, as, as part of the campaign, he had a march written for him. Amazing. This is uh, played by Gilmore's band. Gilmore was the other big band leader apart from John Philip Sousa. And uh, this is the Grover Cleveland March. So a stirring march for Grover Cleveland there. It's a bit different to things can only get better, isn't it? That's for certain. I think the same kind of general purpose, getting people uh, mm. feeling stirred and they're going out to the polls where they would go and vote. Unless, of course, they, they were black and lived in the south of the USA. Yeah. In which case, uh, they'd... Uh, not go out and vote. They'd not, be, they'd not be encouraged to go out and vote. Okay, so Grover Cleveland, uh, he was uh, quite successful in winning re-election when he'd uh, been forced out of office before. He wasn't so successful in that he presided over the Great Crash of 1893, um, which would put his party out of government for a generation. He was famous, of course, for his marriage to Francis Folsom, which we mentioned. Was that controversial at the time, him marrying such a young girl? I think people remarked upon it, but of course you've got to remember that people did tend to get married 
earlier. Mm. Um, so I think it's less of a scandal than it was now. And of course, in mm. his first presidential election, um, much was made of his having fathered an illegitimate child. So I suspect marrying a young woman of 21 was probably less of a scandal than I don't know. That. Maybe people thought it romantic in some way. He, he was he was 49 and she was 21. And from his photo, he doesn't look 49. He looks 60 if a day. So this is uh, some uh, comedy. This is a comedy cylinder that somebody recorded. It's unknown who recorded this. It's officially labelled as unknown. But uh, it's suspected to have been a comedian called Russell Hunting. Boarding the Folsom by Russell Hunting, probably. <laughs> Made my eyes water. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing explicitly rude there, of course. It's not quite nine o'clock yet in the evening. Um, but, yeah, uh, that was a, a comedy record that was released. Um, uh, obviously, that was not considered appropriate at the time for most households. Uh, what's, what's your first impression of uh, Russell Hunting's comedy record there? I'm not quite sure what to make of that, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Naval metaphors are always great for yeah, yeah. any kind of <laughs> relationship observations it's you wish been, to make. It's been thought through quite well, you have yes. to admit. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, innuendo done quite quite uh, efficiently, I would mm. say. Um, okay, so to move on to something a little more dignified, let's have a listen to a bit of a clarinet from uh, William Tucson. Clarinet was a important instrument at this time and there are many recordings of clarinet around this time William Tucson was one of the first and um, yeah it's a surprising piece let's have a listen to that Thank you. 
William Tucson playing the clarinet there. You're listening to Centuries of Sound. I'm James. And I'm Sean. And we're listening to the music of 1892. We've heard some marching band music. We've heard some rude jokes about the president's wife. And uh, now we're going to hear something from the UK. Unfortunately, there's really very little from the UK in the 1890s. Um, but this is a, a British song written by a British songwriter for a famous British musical artist, uh, Vesta Victoria, uh, most famous musical artist of her day, really. It's not the version recorded by her. It's the version recorded by uh, Silas Leachman, who was a, a guy who generally did uh, racist impersonations of black people. Uh, in this case, he's not. He's just singing this song. It's uh, a song that you might have heard of. It's uh, Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow. You've heard of that song, of course? I've heard of that song before. My mum used to sing it to me before I went to bed. Uh, okay. Um, it's Compared to some of the things we've had today, it's a very family-friendly song. You would think so. Um, there are rumours that uh, the Bow Wow in the name had a, had a double meaning at the time. Musical was a very bawdy kind of entertainment. You, you can have a listen to it and see if you change your mind about it. Um, I'm sure you won't. Slightly odd recording of uh, Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow by Silas Leachman, who's not a uh, five-year-old girl. Perhaps mercifully. Yeah, it, it, it does sound odd coming from him. Uh, every recording of his does sound odd, <laughs> that one more than most, I would say. Let's uh, go far away from uh, musical stage and from New York back to Russia and uh, another one of Julius Bloch's recordings of the luminaries of the Russian music scene at the time. This is uh, Sergei Taneyev. So um, Sergei Taneyev is another composer. He doesn't fit the stereotypes of the uh, Russian composers of the time. There were the five and their successors who used kind of folk music as bases for their compositions, but he wasn't like that. He was more conservative and more austere than Tchaikovsky. Uh, he liked kind of Renaissance polyphony, that kind of thing. His approach was uh, meticulous and painstaking and notable for an elegant command of technique. He had kind of a cosmopolitan outlook. That did, he didn't have this uh, kind of nationalism in his works that we expect from the Russian composers of this time. 
And uh, this is uh, him playing a piano duet with Paul Pabst. Paul Pabst was a pianist, composer and professor of piano at Moscow Conservatory. Wow. Um, professor of piano would be the, the person who teaches piano to other people, the respected piano teacher so not necessarily a professor um tchaikovsky often attended concerts given by pabst and he used to call pabst a pianist of divine elegance and a pianist from god he was the greatest professor of piano at the conservatory and his students carried the great tradition of russian romanticism into the 20th century he was considered one of the greatest pianists of his day and he was admired by franz liszt and uh, he and rachmaninoff performed many concerts together so this is uh, Taniev and Paul Pabst together playing a piano duet. So I feel very uh, privileged to be able to hear this cylinder that was lost for so many years of these two people together. And uh, they're playing something by Anton Arensky. Um, it's uh, uh, Arensky's Suite Number no. 2 for Two Pianos. Two famous composers there, uh, Taniev and Pabst, uh, playing together. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting, the fact that these are two Russian composers. The uh, composition is titled in French. That's, uh, the, as, as we've seen before, the mm. they, the lingua franca of its day was French, and um, especially Russians, they would uh, like to title things in French and uh, use French words in conversation. Uh, so we see a lot of French from Russia at this time, not much from France because they don't seem to be recording many cylinders quite yet. Um, OK, let's let's go back over to America. A famous name of his day, an old man at this point, is uh, Walt Whitman. What can you tell us about Walt Whitman? Um, Walt Whitman is considered one of the greatest uh, poets of his generation. Uh, he actually dies in 1892, so this is his swan song. Uh -huh. um, his poetry is famous for its sensuality, including Leaves of Grass, which is considered so sexual that some people wanted to ban it. If you, if you have a look at him now, he's uh, he's an old man with a gigantic beard that kind of straggles down, he's in very long hair. He looks like a wild man from uh, the forest or something. That's my impression of him <laughs> at this point. <laughs> But um, yeah, what what else can you tell us about uh, Walt Whitman? I believe he was knew Oscar Wilde in one of the great meetings of the yeah, 1890s. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny story, mm. but um, yeah, uh, Oscar Wilde visited America in 1882, so 10 years before this, and uh, it's quite probable that he uh, slept with Walt Whitman during this journey. So uh, it's a it's a quite a thing to think about. Those two men <laughs> were were involved with each other briefly. It's it's uh, not a hundred percent for sure, but the accounts of the time do make it pretty clear that that is what happened. Um, 
And we can believe it of Oscar Wilde, put it that way. We can believe it of both of them, mm. for sure. <laughs> they, yeah. would, they would both have been into that. Uh, we can be quite sure of that yeah. from uh, other other evidence that's around there. If you're interested, look it up online. The account really is something. <laughs> yes, it is something to be seen. Um, so let's have a listen to Walt Whitman, one of his, uh, well, his only recording, but from his the final year of his life. And uh, there's a famous poem of his called America. Let's hear an excerpt from that. America, center of equal daughters, equal sons, all, all alike and dear, grown, ungrown, young or old, strong, ample, fair, enduring, capable, rich, perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love. Quite a amazing, wonderful uh, speaking voice. Yes, I think he's got. that accent was... Mm. I wish mm. there were many more recordings of him because, you know, some, some poets, we heard uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson last mm. time reading a poem. Uh, not not quite so interesting to listen to, but I could listen to I could Walt listen Whitman to Walt Whitman talk for ages. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, that's all we've got from 1892. Shall we move on to 1893? What yes. kind of uh, what kind of things were happening in 1893? Um, well, it's, it's fortuitous time in, in both American and British politics. In 1893, we see the first meeting of the Independent Labour Party. Okay, chaired by Keir Hardy. Um, that wasn't the Labour Party that's in existence today. It's no, but it's the forerunner. Um, right, I see. Keir Hardy is considered a Labour Party figure, so um, okay. it's the first explicitly a working class political party we have hmm. um, in the United Kingdom, um, which is again what we see in the in America to a certain extent. This is the time when the working class really start to enter mainstream politics. And in 1893 is also the first recorded use of the Pledge of Allegiance in America. Mm. We'll um, come on to where that yes. happened quite soon. Yes, we will. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, but in America, there was some uh, bad news for the American economy. Yes, the Panic of 1893. Which was a stock market crash, yes. effectively. Um, which, because of the American monetary policies at the time, which was based on gold, uh, Grover Cleveland was a champion of using gold, um, the US almost ran out of its gold supplies, which backed the currency, which, of course, hmm. um, leads to run on all kinds of things and rather soils Grover Cleveland's second term. So it's not great. It's not a great time to be an American in the in eighteen ninety three. Though there are some up huh. upsides as we will find later. As far as American culture goes, we don't really get a widespread of what's going on as far as what's recorded. It's a very few locations, mostly in New York they're recording. However, we do have the first recording by a black vocal group. Oh really? We do. It's quite interesting to hear this, um, because it's it gives you a real uh, sense of what was going on out there. We had the spirituals, the, the traditional kind of spirituals with uh, churches um, and uh, the songs that were sang by that were sung by slaves before that. Um, and we kind of have uh, only guesses as far as that's concerned and how that led later to uh, blues and jazz. Um, in this case, this is not. It doesn't really sound like it's in the blues and jazz lineage. It sounds like it's in the barbershop lineage. Um, barbershop is a strange term because it doesn't exist, really. Um, mm. It doesn't exist 
in the time that it's supposed to exist. It's an invention of later days. They had a revival of the singing groups of uh, the early part of the 20th century, and they decided to call it barbershop music at that point. There's no evidence it was called barbershop music at that time. And uh, this is interesting because this is pre those vocal groups. So it's this kind of, you can hear a link from the, from the spirituals to yeah. the, the harmonized barbershop singing that would, that would appear later. And, uh, uh, the lyrics to this, uh, I I think maybe they do deal in kind of racial stereotypes slightly, but it as it's a black vocal group singing it, it does feel uh, more acceptable and more uh, understandable and better in that sense mm. that they're that they're singing this. So this is the unique quartet. They were unique because they were the only black singing group around, and uh, the song is called "Mama's Black Baby Boy." So something a bit different to what we've heard mm. previously there. Um, what did you make of that? It's a it's a different kind of music, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's um, well, I was struck by the fact that how you've got four of four of you all singing together, and actually it's quite hard to get everything right all the time. And you also, you can't just record bits of the song and stick it together as you can now. You have to get it all right, mm-hmm. or have to do the whole thing again. Uh, That's the case of quite a while mm. after this. But I was struck by how 
disciplined, I suppose, they had to have been. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If you were a recording artist, you were doing this day in, day out, and uh, it just happened at this time you were doing it into a recording horn instead of to an audience. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot more practice involved in being a musician at this time. So this was not the only breakthrough black act who were performing at this time. There's a, there's a guy called Louis, Louis Vasnier, and he did a comic monologues and impressions of... Uh, mm black baptist church kind of meeting and uh there were quite a few recordings made um and there a few survived and uh in the 1980s there were there was a description of somebody listening to one and it sounded like it survived quite well by the time digitization had come round that wasn't really the case anymore i'm going to play this and see if you can make out anything at all really it's uh, pretty hard to make out anything, and it's really a shame. As, as recently as the 1980s, this was a listenable cylinder. So that's all that remains of his recording career, and uh, it's really a shame. I'd, I'd like to hear what that was. The reason that this has been uh, recovered as much as it has been, there's a book called uh, Lost Sounds, Blacks and the Birth of the Recording Industry. It's a really excellent book, and they put together a compilation CD that goes with it. Mm. Not just a shame that that's disappeared. Uh, you know, more than 99% of recordings from this time have disappeared forever. We're getting... Uh, a random almost selection of uh, recordings that, that have managed to survive. Some recordings survived because people really took care of them, like the Russian recordings. From the other ones, it seems just a random selection that's managed to make its way through to today. Um, let's uh, have some more of the popular music of its time. Um, this is uh, the 23rd Regiment Band of New York. Of course, we have quite a lot of marching band music. This one is a, a bit different so uh it's a, a little bit of variety in our marching band music i'm not a huge marching band fan i'm sure um, i'm sure you're not either i think it's interesting we were saying earlier how it's all from new york it is all from new york that's where the recording studio was it's such a small business at this time that it's it's not really worth <laughs> um, sending someone yeah. not really worth recording elsewhere um so they just record what they can in, in their office in New York, the Edison offices, and then that's, that's it. I don't need to do any more. This is the 23rd Regiment Band of New York, then. Okay, so some more jolly marching band music there. Marching band music was not the only popular music of 1893. And uh, let's have a listen to the biggest hit of 1893. This is a song that took the country by storm. 
the country being the USA. Um, it's not as not as catchy as it should be for a, a huge hit, but this is apparently what they're all whistling in the streets and uh, singing to each other. It's called After the Ball, and it really gives you a feeling of how... Uh, uh, ragtime really need to come and sweep this stuff away <laughs> as far as I'm concerned and it's performed by George J. Gaskin who uh, a singer who loved to perform these uh, kind of uh, maudlin ballads which were so popular at the time After the ball done by Mr. George J. Gaskin A little maiden climbed an old So there's After the Ball, performed by George J. Gaskin. That's one of the biggest hits of the year of 1893, which we are discussing right now. Did you enjoy After the Ball? No. I didn't, no, but I'm sure After the Ball, the then bit will be stuck in my head now for the next week. Really? It's so kind of dreary. I think it's... I'm glad that we have a new wave of ragtime music and uh, other music coming to sweep this stuff away because it's a bit of a rubbish time for pop music as far as I'm concerned, 1893. <laughs> not the finest year. I, I don't want to be a snob, but 1893 yeah, is not do. my favourite year for pop music. This was a song that you would imagine people were whistling and humming during the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Let's hear a bit about the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. So the World's Fair was the US equivalent of the Great Exhibition, which happened some 30 years earlier, I think, uh, in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't called the World's Fair, was it? No, so it was, oh, it was the Chicago of... World Trade and... Uh, Columbian Exhibition. Columbian, there's we are, the Columbian yeah. Exhibition. Ex- um, I believe it's the anniversary of Columbus arriving. Yes. Uh, is it 200? Um, no, 300? 400th, 400th anniversary. 400th anniversary. Of uh, Columbus um, arriving in the New World. And it's 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 known rather for its um, 690 acres of temporary neoclassical building. Um, quite an amazing thing. Quite, quite an amazing thing. Uh, the White City, I believe it yeah. was called. Uh, well, no, it restored America's confidence in the aftermath of the 1893 crash. So, so what what kind of things were introduced at the World's Fair? Well, we had um, Hershey's chocolate for the first time. Um, okay, that's disgusting chocolate. It is disgusting. Tastes like vomit. Um, <laughs> your favourite cereal, I believe, James. Uh, is that shredded wheat? Yes. It's not my favourite cereal. <laughs> it tastes like old straw. Um, I had uh, AC electricity was uh, used to light up the place, I believe. Yes. Um, we had Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, hmm. fixing the image of the Wild West. Um, yeah. In my favourite fact about Buffalo, Bill, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, we're pretty certain it helped influence the start of World War One. 
Buffalo Bills, Bills World West Show toured Germany in um, the 1890s, and Buffalo Bills was rather uncomfortable to find a lot of German military attaches walking around, looking, observing how they picked up and moved so quickly. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> 20 years later, Germany rolled across Western Europe. Anything else? Um... First moving pictures showing to a pay- paying public in the commercial movie theatre. Oh, um, wow. Wow. Some of those even still survive. Huh? <laughs> a, yeah, there's a couple yeah. from that time. And Little Egypt, introducing America to the to a more sensual version of the belly dance known as Coochie Coochie. Oh, yeah. The, the Hoochie Coochie. Hoochie Coochie. The Hoochie Coochie. Yeah, and uh, I believe the impresario who got those dances over invented a tune on the piano, which uh, you will you'll most likely recognize from any any film from the first half of the 20th century or even later that had anything vaguely oriental and exotic you know the one dun 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 yeah something he put together on the spot on the piano there um so sensual yeah yeah well it's just oriental sounding and exotic that's about it and the ferris wheel yes was first launched there and uh, I don't know if if that was the first Ferris wheel you'd seen, would you go on it? <laughs> That's what I, I wouldn't go on one. one now. So no. I I I'd probably go on one now, but um, I wouldn't get on one if it was the first one I'd seen. Didn't look safe at all. Um, anything else? Uh, apparently, Ragtime, which is going to come up in later years, had its first um, mm. large-scale public exposure. Possibly, possibly. Yes, it's, it's kind of a theory, but yeah, mm. Scott Joplin was there, so that could have been the case. Um, the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Yes, we mentioned that earlier. So the Pledge of Allegiance, um, you know, I'm one nation under God, um, was first um, performed in 1893. It's meant to just remark, mark the 400 years of Columbus's um, landing in America, but it's been the litmus test of patriotism ever since in America. Hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, some other products, uh, Juicy Fruit Gum yum, yum. and uh, Quaker Oats, Cream mm. of Wheat. Is that it's not not a popular thing in the UK, but I believe that is still popular in America. A beer won the award for the best beer, and uh, it got the Blue Ribbon Award, so it was renamed the Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, or PBR, uh, America's really? Best Beer. Um, which uh, it's a, I think American listeners might be surprised that Pabst Blue Ribbon was voted the best beer. It's not got a reputation as being the best beer in the country. It's all right. Have you tried PBR? I have not. I so, must confess. Other beers a, are available. It's apparently a beer for hipsters in America. I don't know if that's still the case. I think it's a really cheap beer, so it's kind it's of explains why hipsters like it. It's an it's an ironic beer or something like that. Anyway, it's a, it was invented there. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course the the uh, I mean aside from uh, uh, printing of books in Braille and uh, this third rail for animated trains and uh, automatic dishwashers, we have another uh, great innovation. Um, what's what's the final great innovation of the uh, World's Fair? The first modern serial killer, Dr. Oh. Henry Howard Holmes, who um, said he killed up to 200 people. We can only um, find that he definitely killed nine, but that still makes him a serial killer, who had his own specially constructed murder castle just three miles from the fair in that classic modern American... <laughs> yeah, so he, he had uh, bedrooms that were gas chambers. He would uh, nice. reroute gas through the house into different bedrooms. He, he didn't murder people for any kind of uh, perverted reasons. It was just to take their money, basically. 
suppose, a, a series of people who came to stay in his house would mysteriously disappear and uh, leave all their money to him. Mm, it was destroyed by an uh, angry crowd, basically, in the aftermath. Shame. So uh, the, the house is not there. There is a photo of the house that uh, was taken shortly afterwards. There are theories that he was even Jack the Ripper. Um, he was obsessed with Jack the Ripper, so um, it's. I think it's definitely not Jack the Ripper, but it's, uh, at the time people thought it might be the same person. I think if you were actually Jack the Ripper, you wouldn't be obsessed with yourself, necessarily. I don't know. I think he would be. That's my <laughs> feeling. I think Jack the Ripper was probably obsessed with Jack the Ripper. The World's Fair was, was famous for all these innovations and for for murder as well this is a recording that's not from 1893 we think it might be 1894 Mm. um, but it's a souvenir of the world's fair all the same and uh, it features many of the different uh, items that were uh, available to be uh, to be seen it's called on the midway Uh, the midway is kind of the uh, uh, street of carnival attractions and fairground Mm. attractions that that we all see in the fairground these days it's another innovation of the World's Fair is, is that that kind of central walkway there. Uh, let's have a listen to that. It's Isla's Orchestra, uh, Edison House Band, and it's called On the Midway. On the Midway, played by Isla's Orchestra. Now then, people, here we have the Irish Village. Come inside and see the Irish maidens and their shillelagh. Admission is one dollar. Everybody pass right this way. Now let the band play there, let the band play. Open up that get a sense of the world's Columbian exhibition there was anything surprising in that for you 
One-eyed men, half price. I One-eyed men, half price. Was, it's a good joke. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what you can hear there is how they had the villages for mm. different cultures around the world. So that was part of it. A bit that, like Epcot. A bit like Epcot, Which yeah. I think is based actually on the world it's, show. I think it, Epcot started out as a World's Fair kind yeah, of thing. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's related to that. Of course... Henry H. Holmes was not the only famed killer of 1893. There was also Lizzie Borden, who's not so famous in the UK, but whose name still is quite well known in the US. Tell us about Lizzie Borden. So Lizzie Borden, allegedly, in uh, 1892, murdered her mother and stepfather with a axe. Hmm. And the trial became a bit of a coarse celebrity uh, in the United States. Um... She was known to often change her mind about what she said. She, she would often not say what she'd said previously, even if it would help her defence. Mm. Um, the judge basically led the jury to an acquittal, uh, scandalised American right. um, public life. Um, but she maintained her innocence until her death. Let's have a listen to something a bit more civilised than Lizzie Borden and her escapades. This is a flute solo played by Mr Arthur Houston of Norwalk, Ohio. So let's just have a discussion of the literary scene in the UK. There's, uh, are there any interesting books published in 1893? Yes, uh, Diary of a Nobody, wrote by the uh, brothers Georgia and Whedon Grossmith, which are two fantastic names. It's a satire of lower middle class aspirations. Uh, it's never been out of print since. 
I do recommend reading yeah. it. It is, it is a, a good, fantastic novel. It's a, it's a very funny book. It's kind of a proto Adrian Mole. Mm. I would say it's, it's proto Adrian Mole, although it's he's a he's a semi successful uh, middle class clerk rather mm. than a, a, a teenage boy in the Midlands. Um, yeah, mm. it's a it's a it's still a funny book. I'd mm. say even even all this time later, it's still a funny book. Um, so who who were George and Whedon Grossmith? So they were both creators and actors in comedic um, opera. George Grossmith acted in a lot of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan um, oh, right. as if you remember them from last time. Oh yes, yes. Uh, originated a lot of the roles. Was in Pirates of Penzance and HMS Pinafore. Okay. Um, well, let's let's hear uh, let's hear a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. This is not uh, again not a British recording because we don't have so many of them at this point. But uh, this is uh, Edward M. Favor. Uh, Edward M. Favor, as he seems to call himself, uh, with uh, the Commodore song. There are many things essential to make a Commodore, for a Commodore's the pride of all the nation. And of these famous essentials I will mention for a song that is made to make this triumph of creation. You will notice I'm the figure of Apollo Belvedere. You will notice I'm the hotel of a noble British here. You will notice something noble in my general personnel. You will notice I'm the greatest of a perfect naval swell. Pride of all the names, there's no one can compare. With my appearance, so majestic, my exclusive You'll notice I'm a go-ideal for ladies to adore. I'm simply a non-parel, a perfect commodore. You've been listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James. And I've been Sean. If you want to find out more about Centuries of Sound, we have a website as well. It's at www.centuriesofsound.com. Uh, if you want to contact us with your comments, your concerns or any uh, suggestions of uh, music that you'd like to be included in future episodes, which will be the later years of the 1890s and into the 1900s, you can contact us at centuriesofsoundmail at gmail.com. That's centuriesofsoundmail at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at centuries underscore sound or on Facebook if you search for Centuries of Sound, you should be able to find us. That's all for today. Um, I've been James. And I've been Sean. Next time we'll be back with discussions of 1894 and 1895, uh, getting into the middle of the decade. Um, What did you think of the music and the culture of 1892 and 1893 then, Sean? I think we're moving away from when it was only drunk men in parties and marching bands, which is always... A positive step. Slowly moving. Slowly, but you are right. This there is still very much a need for something to come and make music a little bit more. I hesitate was exciting, but you know what I mean when I say it is lacking in excitement mm. a bit. I agree. Um, I think that at the at the moment we're still talking more about it than listening to it because yes. there's not there's not there's not a wow factor in the music we're listening to, unfortunately. Mm. But um, it's 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 moving forward. It's slowly moving forward. I I know this this. There is a little hard going, but there is some interesting-ish stuff here, I would say. Um, let's uh, play out with uh, the one bright spark we can say of recording at this time. This is uh, Back to Russia with Julius Block recording all his uh, luminaries in Russia. 
And this is uh, Sergei Taneyev, who's a famous composer of the time, and Leo Konas. And they're playing a uh, suite for piano with four hands. So it's another piano duet. It's amazing how much the sense of recording good music, music that actually means something in Russia is than it is elsewhere. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Centuries of Sound radio podcast. If you want early access to these radio podcasts, as well as access to full-size mixes, you can get all of this and more by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound. If you want to help the show survive, please also tell a friend.